It is good as always to be together and to open God's Word together. Today is the final uh, sermon in this six-week series we've been walking through called Open Hands, a study on generosity. Uh, So just so you know where we're going, next week we'll start a new series. Uh, We'll be in the Gospel of John from next week through Easter, uh, and we'll be looking at the I Am sayings of Jesus. I'm really excited uh, for this series. Uh, We'll be in the Gospel of John looking at the life and teachings of our Lord Jesus. So let me encourage you uh, to, to make a point to be here. That will go the month of March, and then take us through the celebration of our Lord's resurrection at Easter. Uh, so today, as we wrap up the series on generosity, let me encourage you and invite you to turn or click with me, if you have a copy of God's Word, to the book of 2 Corinthians. We'll be in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 15. And we'll be looking at generosity, grace, and glory. So the Apostle Paul writes, beginning in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. So he who supplies seed for the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way, to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For this ministry of the service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but also is overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for the privilege that it is to gather together as your people and to worship you. Father, we thank you. We come to you and we confess that you are the giver of all things. Father, that whatever we have, whether it be our money and our possessions, whether it be our gifts and abilities and our passions, whether it be our time, our very lives, are all from you. You are the ruler and the sovereign giver of all things, and so, Father, we are simply your stewards. So, Father, today as we consider this final passage on generosity, I pray that you will open our hearts to see the glory of Christ that is here. That, Father, as we behold the glory of Christ in your word, that by your Spirit you would give us hearts that are cheerful, hearts that overflow with your grace, hearts that are filled with a love for Christ and compelled by a love of Christ to take all that we have and be willing to spend and be spent for the sake of the gospel. So, Father, we love you and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
So it was several years ago, I was sitting in a, a small group, a, a life group, a Bible study setting, and we were talking through this topic of generosity. If you've ever been in a setting like this, you've probably experienced something like this, someone sitting over to the side, thinking very hard and, and looking silently, and then they, they look up and they say, I've got just a random question. You know, it's a random question that's well thought out, that's included math, so you know it's not random at all, that it's actually very specific to them, but they couch it in general terms. And they, they looked at me and they said, you keep, you keep talking about tithing, and you keep saying we should at least tithe. Do you really mean that literally, like 10%? And I said, yeah, that's, that's really what I mean literally. And this person looked down thoughtfully, and they looked back up, and they said, well, you know, I think somebody that makes, let's just say, $50,000 and has a car payment and a house payment and some kids, if they were really to really give like that, they'd have to make some pretty serious life changes. I looked back at him and said, you know what? I think you're right. You see, what was happening in that moment is God was working on one of his people. And he wasn't working to, to make them work up to a standard to get his approval. He wasn't working to make them give a percentage. He was working in their hearts to demonstrate where their treasure and life truly was. He was working in their hearts to, to show them what it would really mean for them to be generous. You see, as we wrap up this series on generosity, this week we end again with the heart of the matter— which is our hearts toward God and toward our possessions. Last week, we looked at a passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, and we noted that 2 Corinthians 8 and 2 Corinthians 9 fit together as a unit. Paul is writing to the church at Corinth, encouraging them to give, really to follow through on a commitment that they had previously made, to contribute to the ministry to the church in Jerusalem. There was a famine, the church was in poverty, and so he is encouraging them to to follow through on their commitment and to give generously to this church. Last week we noted that 2 Corinthians chapter 8 gives the gospel motivation for generosity. That we give because Christ first gave to us. That because Jesus who was rich became poor for our sake so that through his poverty we might become rich. That's why we give. Our giving, our generosity is a response to God having already given to us. We, we sang about it earlier, right? That God so loved us that he gave his son. So we, in response, give of all that we have for his glory. So today in 2 Corinthians 9, we see this gospel action explained. Paul tells us how we are to give. And even still, in some practical matters of how to give, we see that true generosity is not a matter of percentages and set dollar amounts, but it's a matter of the heart. The how of generosity focuses on our hearts when we give. And so today, we'll see that we're called to give joyfully in order that we may grow in likeness for the glory of God, for the good of others, and for our lasting joy. So the first thing we see, look with me in verses 6 and 7, is the heart of generosity. So Paul, in coming from the end of chapter 8 into chapter 9, in these first six verses, he's, he's encouraging the church there in Corinth to, to get their act together and to, to get ready to give their gift. 
because Paul is sending Titus to him to, to collect it. And he's like, so, so when he gets there, I don't want him to have to come and, and this be an exaction, but I want you to, to give generously. I want you to be ready when he gets there. So in verses 6 and 7, Paul is focusing in on why they are to give. And in doing that, he tells them how they are to give. And so Paul returns to a focus on our hearts. What we'll see is that a generous heart opens the floodgates of God's blessing to his people. See, Paul says in verse 6, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully, right? So we've got a little agricultural metaphor here, and that makes sense. You put a little bit of seed out in your field, don't expect a whole huge crop. You put a whole lot of seed out in your field, and you can expect generally to reap a bountiful and large harvest. And so what he is saying here in verse 6 is that our heart determines how much we give. And how much we give determines how much blessing we receive back from God in return. And so what do we get back from God? Is Paul promising that if you give a certain amount, God's going to give you back, right? So if you give $100, you can expect God to give you $1,000. If you give $1,000, you can expect God to give you $10,000. If you give $10,000, you can expect mansions and planes and, and like Lamborghinis. No, that's not what he's saying. We'll see this in verse 7. What we get when we give is God himself. There is something about giving generously that so pleases the heart of God that the more we give, God pours more and more of himself out to us so that we can know him more, become more like him, love him more, and live more like him. And that's what gonna, we're going to see in the whole rest of this passage. That If we give bountifully, God will give bountifully of himself back to us. So look at verse 7. Paul says, so, so this, is the, this is the verse. This is the, the verse I think is one of the most important for us as New Testament believers of how we ought to approach giving practically. He says this, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So, so notice when, when Paul gets right down to it, when he's encouraging the church at Corinth, when God's word is encouraging us as believers how to give, what he does not say. Notice he doesn't get a dollar amount. He doesn't say, give this much and you'll be good. He doesn't even give a percentage of our income. We'll, we'll talk more about that in just a second. What does he do? He goes to the heart. He says you are to give as you have determined in your heart, and then to do so, to give whatever it is you've determined cheerfully. There you go. That is New Testament Christian giving. It's from a heart that is dedicated to God and gives cheerfully to God. So, so let's unpack this a little bit. So there's two ways in this verse Paul tells us not to give. That's under compulsion and reluctantly. Right, so under compulsion is feeling like we're forced to do it. And there's all kinds of reasons we can be, feel like we're forced to give, right? We can feel like we're forced to give because somebody sitting next to us might be watching. We can feel like we're forced to give because you feel like the pastor's looking over your shoulder. I'm not. 
we can feel like we're forced to give because we think, well, we have to give and give and give so that we can earn God's love and favor. And if we give enough, maybe he'll love us enough and maybe it'll pay back for that sin that I keep on committing. No. Paul says that's not the way we're supposed to give because all of those miss the mark of generosity. Then he also says we're not to give reluctantly. Well, we all understand what it means to give reluctantly, right? It just means you, you just hate it. You grit your teeth, and, and every time you, you give, your hand withers to, to give anything to anyone, right? So another thing I, I would say, and this is where he says, so we must give as we determine in our hearts. We shouldn't give mindlessly, right? We should pay attention to our giving. I'll be honest, this is where probably I struggle the most. Giving can just become mechanical. And I'm like, there you go, I'm doing it, God. There you go, I, I gave, and then I just write a check and don't even think about it. Well, that's not really the type of giving that, that honors God. Because God is not after our wallets. God is after our hearts. He wants us to give in a way that shapes our hearts to be like Christ. And you can get why, why Paul would say, don't give reluctantly and utter compulsion, because nobody likes a grumbler. Right? Like, who does that honor? How does it honor God if we grumble to give back to him What's already his, right? We, all that we do is we give out of what's already his. But, but God doesn't want us to do that grumblingly because nobody likes a grumbler, right? Let's, let's say that you and your best friend or, or you and your spouse like different things. One of you loves musicals and one of you loves basketball games, whether it's Michigan State or Michigan. We know it's not Ohio State, but you love those things and you love going to them, right? And so when you go to the musical, the one who loves it is like, yes, and the other is just like, oh, musical, yeah. Uh, uh, guess we'll go to the musical tonight. Uh, gotta sit here. When's intermission? Because there's a ball game on. And I gotta check the score. And then you go to the ball game, and the other is like, oh, basketball. Oh, I wish Ohio State would just win so we quit going to these things. Right? Like, who wants to be with that person? It sucks all the joy out of being together if one of you is there grumbling, right? No one likes a grumbler. But because you say, you're not doing this out of joy and love for, for me. I don't know why you're doing it. In the same way, God doesn't want us to grumble when we give, because he's not after our wallets, he's after our hearts. See, if, if to give our wrist has to be twisted, or our hand withers when we give away, or we turn off our mind, we are not being cheerfully generous. Instead, I think as we look at this verse, we see three things that our giving should be. Three ways that we ought to give. And then I'm going to add two more that we get from elsewhere in Scripture. So our giving should be this. A giving that honors God is sacrificial, is intentional, and is joyful. All three of those things right here in this text. I think two other things that we see throughout the rest of the New Testament. It should be regular, and it should be primarily local. Okay, So, so generous giving that honors God is sacrificial, intentional, joyful, regular, and local. Okay, so sacrificial means that it is actually costing us something to give. We are like Christ's sacrifice for us. We are sacrificing in our giving. It's intentional, right? So Paul says here, each one should give as he has decided in his heart. I would also say that sacrificial you see in verse 6, right? So bountifully sowing. For most of us to give either of our money or of our time or of our abilities and to do that in a bountiful way is going to sacrifice something else, right? That's economics. There's opportunity costs in everything we do. If we're going to serve here, it means we're going to give up sitting on the couch and letting Netflix just go to the next episode here, 
right? If we're going to give our money generously here, it's going to mean we can't go buy that big B on Thursdays, right? There's, there's sacrifice. There's trade-offs. It has to be intentional. Paul says that we decide in our hearts. God wants us to think about our giving so that it's shaping our heart toward him. And then he says it ought to be cheerful. I've used the word joyful. We ought to love giving. We ought to love generosity. And then I think it ought to be local and regular. We see this in 1 Corinthians 16, where Paul encourages the believers, every week you gather, set some money aside so that when you get together, you can give when you gather. We see this pattern in the New Testament in Acts chapter 2. The church gathers, and we see them regularly giving of their possessions to the ministry of the church and to the needs of the local believers. So our giving should be sacrificial, intentional, joyful, regular, and local. Okay. So now a question I know some of you are probably thinking, what, what about the tithe? You haven't told us that we need to, to tithe. What about that 10%? Well, I'll say this. This is a, a place where Jesus-loving, Bible-believing Christians come to some different conclusions. I'll also say this. Is if the Lord has convicted you in your heart, if you've decided that tithing and giving 10% of your total income is what you need to do, do it because you're following this verse. Right? You've decided in your heart. So do it and do it generously. What I don't believe is that New Testament believers are compelled to tithe. And, and, and interesting, if we look at that Old Testament system of giving, if we add up all the offerings, right? Because we think, oh, the Old Testament believers, they tithe, they gave 10%. If you go back and you add up all of the offerings throughout the year of an Israelite, you actually get something like 25 to 30% of their net worth, their giving. How's that for tithing? Okay? 25 to 30%. Now, most of us don't think that way. Right? We think 10%. Now, I'll be honest. I used to say, I used to think that, that tithing was the, what believers needed to do. You give 10% and you're good. Well, prior to this study, and then it's just been affirmed in my heart in this study, we are not compelled to tithe, but tithing is a good starting point for generosity. I think for most of us, to regularly give 10% of our regular income is a good starting point for generosity. You see, the standard Paul sets here is not a percentage, but a heart inclination. And that is to be generous. And we have uh, defined generosity this way, that it is joyful, sacrificial giving of our time, talent, and treasures for the glory of God and the good of others, right? It's that sacrificial. It's, it's to be generous, it's to, to take all that we have and not to say, well, God has 10 and I've got 90, but to say, God has 100, how much of it can I give to God and trust him to support me with the rest? That's what becomes generosity. And so watch why Paul wants us to give this way, right? Because if we just set a dollar amount and if we just set a percentage, we can miss the blessing. Because we can just become robotic. We can just become automatic about that. Look what he says. The reason God wants us to decide in our hearts and not give reluctantly, not give under compulsion, but to give cheerfully is because God loves such a person. You see that? God loves a cheerful giver. When we give sacrificially and joyfully and intentionally and regularly to God's work, we experience his love in a unique way that we do not experience otherwise. I believe the reason is because to give is to live like God. And so God 
pours his grace out on those who will generously give. Giving is a gateway to God's love pouring onto his people. And, and so living with joyous material generosity, I believe Paul is telling us is the key to abundantly giving of our time and our gifts and our abilities for the glory of God. So look at verses 8 through 10 where we see the grace of generosity. So notice in verse 8, Paul's going to make a switch. So in verses 6 and 7, he's talking He's talking financial giving. That's what's been happening in chapter 8. That's what's been happening in the previous verses. He's talking about collect this offering. Give generously of your finances. And then watch this shift in verse 8. He says, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. So, so Paul moves from financial generosity to every type of generosity, to being generous, as we've said, with our treasures, our time, and our talents. And, and he says, well, why is this? Because as it's written, verse 9, he, that's God, has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. And so he who supplies seed for the sower and bread for food, that's God providing both our means to produce and the stuff we have, he will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. So, so why does Paul make this switch? Why does he start with financial giving and then move to all manner of generosity? I believe what's going on there is like Jesus says in Matthew 6 where he says, store up your treasures in heaven, not on earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal. Because Jesus there is talking about money. That's the same place where Jesus says, look, you can't serve two masters. You can't serve God and money. Because Jesus then says, because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so we place our treasure where our heart is, and generous giving places our treasure with God in Christ. And look what it does in verse 8. When we give generously of our finances, it frees us from a grip on this world so we can give gladly and generously of our time, of our talents, and of everything else we have, and it opens up a floodgate of God's grace in our lives. It's, I think it's kind of like this. You ever had your, your salt shaker like get clogged up and it's got that little S on it, and it's got like eight dots on the S, and like the salt's only coming out of one of those dots in the S, right? And so then you take a toothpick or something, you clean out all the other dots, and all of a sudden your salt just flows out. That's what Paul's saying here. You see, when we cling to this life, and when we cling to our time, and when we cling to our possessions, and when we cling to everything for us, and we hold it tightly— what we're doing is we're, we're removing ourselves from the flow of God's grace and blessing in our lives. But, but when we let those things go, God's grace flows to us freely, and it flows abundantly. And notice what happens. God gives us this grace so that we can, in every way, abound in every good work. That's not just giving money. That's using all that we are, our time, our talents, and our treasures for the glory of God. That's what it means by every, at all times, and in every way. What happens when we do that? We become like God. 
because as we saw in the example of Jesus last week in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, to give is to be like God because God freely gives of himself to us and his son, Jesus. See, look at verse 9. How does he describe God? He describes as one who distributes freely, who is given to the poor, whose righteousness endures forever. And then look at verse 10. What, what, what happens there when we give? Right? So God's going to give us what we need so that we can give. And then what's going to increase? The harvest of your righteousness. See that in verse 9? What's God like? He's righteous, so he gives. So what happens when we give? We become righteous like God. You see, God's ultimate goal for your life is to make us more like him in Christ. Like, that's God's project, is to conform his people into the image of Christ. And so what Paul is saying here is that if you're going to be on board with that, God is going to give you everything you God is going to pour all his resources into you to make you more like Christ. So are we in for that? Or are we in on that? Are we willing to give of all that we are, of our time, of our talents, of our treasures, so that we can be like God in our giving, so that he can make us more like him? Because here's the reality. You cannot, I cannot outgive God. Right? Like, we're not going to beat God in this giving game. That's what Paul says. The more you give, the more he's going to give back to you, so the more generous you can be. Now, this isn't a one-to-one correlation, right? Like, he's not saying, you give money, God gives money back. I don't think that's necessarily what he means. I think what he means is, if you're generous financially, if you're generous with your time, if you're generous with your talents, if you're generous with your stuff, God is going to give you more and more opportunity to be generous in every way. Because as you do that, he's going to shape you to be more like Christ. So at the end of the day, generosity is for God's glory and for the good of others, but it benefits us. It is good for us to be generous. I mean, Jesus himself said, right, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And and let me just say, at the end of the day, that's why it was on my heart to do this study. All right, so I've, I've talked to some pastor friends, and when you get together with pastors, you ask yourselves some questions. And one of the ones that my favorite is that we ask is, hey, what are you preaching right now? And so as I've shared with some pastor friends that, oh, I'm doing a study on generosity, they're like, oh, you got a building program? No. No, we don't. Oh, oh, your budget's down. No, God has been very good to us. It's not because God wants your wallets or I want your wallets. It's because God wants your hearts, and I want our hearts to be shaped like Christ. And one of the primary ways God uses to birth righteousness in us is through us being generous at all times in every way. This is for us. It is for our benefit. So my hope as we walk through this is, yeah, if if what you need is for the Lord to move you to give regularly and generously of your finances to the work of the local church, good, I hope he does that. But if what you need is for God to work in your heart so that you look at your time and say, how can I use my time better for the glory of God? Maybe it's not binging videos on YouTube. Maybe it's, it's serving here or there. Maybe God is saying, hey, hey, you're not using those gifts I've given you to serve anyone else in any capacity. And God is using this series to say, hey, how can you use the gifts I've given you 
to be generous and benefit others for their good and for my glory. Because at the end of the day, God wants to conform us like Christ, and we're never more like Christ than when we are giving generously of all that we are. That's the point of this. That's the point of what Paul is getting at. God wants us to be righteous, and we're most righteous when we're giving like he gives. And so, as we grow in righteousness through our giving, what we see is our our focus in and our life moves progressively away from ourselves and onto God. So in verses 11 through 14, we see the glory of generosity. So, so in these verses, Paul's going to shift back. So how do we give? Well, we give regularly. We give sacrificially. We give intentionally. We give generously. We give locally. We give joyfully. And why do we do all of that? Look at verse 11. So you, so Paul's talking now to those who give, and, and those who give financially, and those who are, are generous in every good work in every way, you will be enriched. How? in every way, to be generous in every way. So, so what is this generosity in every way? This financial generosity, this generosity of our time, this generosity of our gifts, this, this being willing to spend and be spent for the sake of the gospel. What's the end of that? It will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others while they long for you and pray for you. Why? Because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. The end of generosity, the end of God forming Christ in us and then us living like Christ in the world is thanksgiving to God and glory to God. That's why we're created. Our primary reason for existing is to give glory to God. And so as we live like Jesus by being generous with all that we are, God receives glory. You see, giving for the glory of God and the good of others helps us take our focus off of ourselves and it loosens our grip on this world and helps us invest in what really matters. And, and so in, in, in giving God praise and glory now through our generous living, we're storing up more glory to be experienced for all eternity. See, what, what Paul is, is doing here, I believe, what God's Word is pushing us to, is, is choosing to invest choosing what we want to invest in. Are we going to take all of our time, our talents, and our treasures and invest it simply in this life and trying to be as comfortable and as successful as we can be now? Or are we just going to build our best life now? Or do we want to take all of our time and our talents and our treasures and invest them in eternity? Where we will spend eternity experiencing the riches of God's grace and kindness for us in Christ Jesus. Where do we want to save? Where do we want to invest? So we give for God's glory, for the good of others, and for our joy both now and in eternity. And so as, as God is glorified through our generosity, what happens is we're prompted to once again 
reflect on God's greatest gift to us. As we give, we look back to the giver and we think of his greatest gift, which is Jesus himself. So Paul closes, bringing us back to the focus where we began this study on generosity in Psalm 104, looking to God as the great creator and giver of all things. He comes back in verse 15 and says, Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. So what is that? What is Paul thanking God for? What is Paul closing this whole section, these two chapters on generous giving? What is he bringing us home to? Well, it's God's indescribable gift. Well, what is that? Well, first of all, whatever that gift is, it's, it's from God. It's God who gives it. So I don't think it's a reference to the Corinthians' financial gifts. I don't think it's a reference to the Corinthians' good works. Because it's from God. He doesn't say, thanks be to God for your gift. He says, thanks be to God for his gift. Second, whatever this gift is, is an indescribable gift. Right? He says, thanks be to God for his indescribable or inexpressible gift. If Paul were referring to the gift the Corinthians were giving, he could pretty well describe that. I mean, he described the gift that the people in the churches of Macedonia gave back in chapter 8. Look, look, you and I can describe our financial gifts. Some of you over the past couple of weeks probably picked up an envelope that had your giving record. Nothing wrong with that, but that's a describable gift, right? So I don't think Paul's talking about their financial gift. So, so what is the one gift that God has given us where words and description begin to fail? Where when we behold that gift all we can do is behold it in silent wonder and glory? I believe the answer is back in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. Where we say, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, though he was rich, yet for your sake became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. God's inexpressible gift to us is himself in Jesus Christ. God sending his son and the salvation that he accomplished for his people is God's indescribable gift. God has given us his son. What more does God have to give us? God has opened the storehouses of heaven in giving us Christ. God himself came to us and became a man, or as Paul says in Romans 8, chapter 31. How could God the Father who gave you his own son fail to give you all good things in Christ. Heaven has given its best gift. And it's not our bank accounts, and it's not our houses or our church buildings. It's not even our families. It's not our time as wonderful and beautiful as all of those gifts are and as thankful as we are for all of them. The greatest gift, the most inexpressible gift God ever gave was His Son, Jesus Christ. And so as we are generous, generosity starts with God and generosity ends with God. And what we find is generosity works within us to form Christ in us. So generosity from beginning to end is about Christ Jesus, our Lord. You see, God has given us all that we have so that we'll look to him as the great giver and so that we'll receive his greatest gift, Jesus. And so that the more we know Jesus, the more we love Jesus, the more we will seek to live like him and make him known to others. 
So as we wrap this series on, on generosity, the question I think we all need to ask is, how are you living? Are you living with open hands of generosity? Or are you clinging to all that you have, your time, your treasures, and your talents, and hoping to find lasting joy in those things? But what we see is that lasting joy is found only in Jesus. So have you received that gift? Have you received God's inexpressible gift of salvation in Jesus Christ? Because none of this works without it. I mean, you can give without Jesus, but you won't be generous without Jesus. You won't feel God's love without Jesus. Even if you give, even if you show up to this, even if you do religious things, what you need is Jesus himself. Have you accepted that gift? Have you turned from your sins and accepted Jesus as your Savior? You can do that today. You can trust in him today. That's the first step. Open your hands to Jesus and receive him. And then as we live with open hands to Jesus, we use all the other things that God has given us. All the things in our life, we use them to know him and make him known. You see, when we cling to Jesus we find that we can open our hands to everything else. And so then we can joyfully spend and be spent for the sake of our Lord, for the sake of the gospel, for knowing him more and making him known to all people. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for today. Father, I do pray. Father, captivate our hearts grab our hearts for you. Father, if that needs to be for, for salvation for someone today, oh, may they, may they turn from their sins and may they turn to Jesus who paid the price for their sins. May they confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in their hearts that you rose him from the dead, Father, and may they be saved. Father, would you give us the humility to know that you don't want our wallets, you want our hearts. And so may we have hearts that are so captive in Jesus that we would gladly and sacrificially give of all we have to spend and be spent for the sake of knowing Jesus and making him known. Oh, captivate our hearts today, Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.